I finished another draft of the full manuscript today of the novel. Um, and I don't know if I, I don't know anything, right? What the fuck? Like, I don't know if I hate it. I don't know if I love it. I know I wrote a book and that's dope, but now what? Uh, it def- it's going to need more work, going to go to the, you know, my editor, whatever. But th- this book isn't, it's, it's not a traditional book in the sense of like, you know, there's no, you know, oh, a lot of, most not, you know, there's stories, right? I've never been a guy or a person who's been super into a story. I'm more about being, let me rephrase that. I mean, obviously, yeah, I like stories. But what I mean is, you know, when I when I decided to read, let's say, Infinite Jest, I was not reading Infinite Jest for the story. In all honesty, I don't even know if there is a fucking story in that book. But I knew when I picked that first when I first picked that book up, I wasn't diving into you know Huckleberry Finn. <laughs> yeah, I, I knew I was going to be taking in something of a different art form. You know, albeit in the same physical medium of a book, but approached it a different way. I, I was reading that book for something else, you know. But there are times where I love a story, right? You know, like Disappearing Earth, Julia Phillips. That was the last book I just finished. You know, I had her on the podcast and I, I got the I loved it. Loved it. And that's a great story, right? But the book that I wrote, there's a story there. There's definitely a story. It's a story of a band. And when I started the book, I knew I was not writing a book for the general public. You know, this was not going to be a Stephen King novel. This was not going to be, uh, you know, a dying. Uh, this was not going to be a Danielle Steele book. That, you know, in all honesty, I think the only people who are even going to like this book are people who have played music. You know, it's funny. It's a very funny book, and I honestly, I think if anyone read it, they would laugh and enjoy it. But you know, it's. You know, just like books about war or, you know, appeal to a certain audience and romance. You know, this is for people who have played live music. And that said, the story that I think I created will appeal to those people. I, I, I wasn't trying to write something for someone else. You know, I wanted to write the book that I wanted to write, but I also knew that there needed to be an audience. And what better audience than, you know, the world that I've spent the last 15 years of plus years of my life in. So when I, you know, I was aware of it, I was, you know, some of the jokes, you know, deep rock history, you know, things like that. But at the end of the day, it's just, I wrote the book, I'm going to send it off, I'm going to expect the rejections, and I don't know what will happen with it. Um, I got a couple more months, I think, with it until I'm done with it, um, and then I'll go on to the other books. But it's pretty, it's scary, and it's exciting, and it's everything all at once when you finish a project like this. Um I shouldn't even say finished because it's not finished. But when you get to, you know, this part of the process, which for me is the first time I've ever fucking been here. Um, so obviously the podcast is uh, 
a crutch for me to continue the book <laughs> and I will continue to let you know what happens with it. And in the meantime, you continue to please listen and please share the episodes. Follow us, Instagram, Writing Friction, and on Twitter at Friction Writing. And yeah, enjoy the next episode and I'll see you all later. Peace. going on everyone and welcome to another episode of writing friction and as always today's guest is pretty cool everyone say hello to the ping chen how are you i'm doing well how are you not too bad but you're not in the east bay right now you're a little farther away than that that's all right i'm in philly uh-huh. and now how long you been in philadelphia for oh gosh about two years now you like it I love it. Yeah, I really do. I know. I mean, I was super sad to leave the Bay Area, of course, and I always wanted to move back, but it is, spoiler alert, not particularly affordable. Well, it's getting there. I mean, if you pay attention <laughs> to what's going on now, I mean, it's, I feel like that's all people want to talk about. It's just the rent price is going down. But oh, interesting. Yeah. I moved here 2011 from Jersey. Um, okay. And yeah, it was expensive when I moved here. So it's been you know almost 10 years, but it's kind of what it is. Um, so I guess we'll get to eventually what brought you to Philadelphia. Um, not everyone moves to Philadelphia. I'm sure there's a reason why you started there. Um, but let's go back. Uh, we were saying before you were born in Berkeley, raised in Oakland. Um, what kind of get got you into writing? Were you know, I mean, were you an avid reader as a kid? Um, did you always want to be a Wall Street Journal correspondent? I mean, you know, what was what? What's the intro to you? Sure. I so yeah. Since you know the Barry, I grew up going um, pretty religiously to the Berkeley Public Library. So favorite was always the Claremont Branch. We called it the Friendly Library because that was where the librarians were super nice and just were like presided over my childhood and. Yeah, I was a huge reader growing up and loved books and just books were my refuge. I was a pretty awkward kid <laughs> and um, yeah, just always loved words, loved books and never thought that writing was going to be a profession or at least writing fiction. So I, I love to write poetry and I love to write fiction and I spent a lot of time doing both those things all through school and through college, but it was just, you know, it really did not seem like something one could do or expect to do full time. And so I started doing journalism in college and um, found I loved that too. It was just a way of exercising curiosity. Um, my first job was working for an alt weekly in Providence and I got to write about um, cops. I got to write about um, prison. Providence, Rhode Island? Providence, Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. You're writing about the police department in Providence, Rhode Island. Oh man, yeah. And Arguably that was, that one of the most corrupt cities in America. Yes, exactly. It was It was really interesting. And I'm a mafia I'm obsessed with the mafia. And for anyone who doesn't know, Providence, Rhode Island, the patriarchal crime family. I mean, Providence is a pretty heady place. It's a beautiful city. Um, interesting that you started your journalism career there. I'm sorry, continue. Yeah, yeah no. Um, I So I really love that. It was just... I found it's a way just to meet so many people, right? And I'm one of those people that if you meet me at a party, I'm probably going to try and corner you and just ask a million questions about what you do. Um, yeah, what so would you ask me if you saw me in, in, in a party? <laughs> 
Oh, I would just, well, I mean, I started by asking you about your posters and your t-shirt. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. Just the whole, the whole spiel on what's it like to have a podcast. You know, I just, oh, yeah. I think I'm one of those people who just finds kind of no matter who you are, or what you do, I find you really interesting and mm-hmm. have a million questions. And so journalism um, was a really good avenue in that respect. And so I, yeah, I graduated college. I started working um, eventually for the Wall Street Journal. Um and well, I mean, how does that happen? It, it, you know, you, you you say that pretty nonchalantly, and, and you, you don't have to go into super detail. Sure. How does one begin a career at the Wall Street Journal, and also why the Wall Street Journal? Again, a pretty, you know, they're a they do their thing. Yes, um, why they do. Them? Yeah, why well, them? sure. Politically, they they have a, a certain obviously reputation. The, the newsroom is very separate and firewalled from the editorial side. Um, so, in, in case your listeners aren't already very clear on that, but yeah, I mean, I. It was, I, I feel like I just, um, I mean, they were hiring and they were nice enough to hire me. I had been Oops. living in China for some time. So I'll, I'll tell you like the, the, the more um, detailed kind of chronology of getting there was I spent some time um, working in DC. Um, I was working for um, The Nation magazine, um, which is, you know, just the, was a place that I love to work too. And but I didn't love DC. I felt like DC was a place that um, was just a gorgeous city. And it sort of felt like I should be 50 years old and retired. I don't know, like the whole, it felt so comfortable and kind of edgeless, um, at least where I was reporting on the Hill and that sort of thing. You're being very um, nice. And I wanted to go back. To, <laughs> sorry? I said, you're being very nice, but you are correct. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and I wanted to go back to China, which is where I'd spent some time um, when I was at university um, studying abroad and um, just wanted to be sort of thrown back into that world and um, be challenged more and just like that sense of friction. and. Um, fascination. It's such, just like such an incredibly rich place to live, which is of course also why I wrote the book. Um, so yeah, so I went back to China and I spent a year there on a fellowship and after, um, where in China two, specifically, sorry, where in China? Oh, I was in Chengdu. Oh, um, oh okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which, and, and my ex-girlfriend's from there. Uh, oh, no way. yeah, I, I, I've been, I've been there and I, but I've also been to Hong Kong. Uh, oh my gosh. Oh, fantastic. Time in Hong Kong. Yeah. We'll talk about it. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. Um, yes. Yeah, so I love, I love Chengdu. Um, and I love my time there and, um, I actually spent, <laughs> I, I was on a fellowship, but I spent a lot of that time not really doing research and writing fiction instead. And it was only I, when the, I had the opposite, but yeah. Okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Continue. Yeah. And when that year was over, I was like, well, I have to get a job. So yeah, yeah, then I got a job, you know, and, and, um, I think it helped that I had language skills. I don't think I could have gotten a job at the wall street journal in the U S I just didn't have any, tra- you know, I didn't have any proper newspaper experience or anything. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm really grateful that the paper hired me out there. And I spent a couple of years in Hong Kong, which is a city. I'm sure if you've been just such an extraordinary place, I would mm-hmm. say I love being a reporter. And, and then after that, I was in Beijing, um, moved there in 2014. I was there for four years before coming back. Um, oh, so all told, if you, yeah, if you add it up, I spent more time living in China, in Beijing, actually, than anywhere except for Oakland. Um, wow. So, okay. So, I mean, so it's, it seems like, you know, the universe was kind of putting you in a, in a, in a not a bubble, but it, in, on a path. You're in China. You're writing about China, correct? You're, this That's is your right. journalist. Um, how did you feel about that? I mean, writing about a country that, you know, you, you grew up in America, you grew up in the East Bay, um, a lot different than Shangdu, China. How was that just as a journalist writing, living there, writing about, what was that experience like? So I'll tell you, I, when I first went to China, this was back in 2006, so it was pre-Olympics and I was still a student and I just was miserable. It was a place that I was always really curious to go. Um, but I found I had a really hard time there. I 
it was, again, it was before the Olympics and so much in the city was getting torn down. Mm-hmm. I had grown up in a family that just had really sort of steeped in a deep appreciation of like all the, you know, what it meant to be Chinese and Chinese pottery and scrolls hanging on our walls and just all these stories, right, of my, of my grandparents. And then to go to the country and look around and just see so much of that being destroyed or um, having, you know, long since been lost. Really, when I first arrived in the country, I just I just felt this sense of dislocation. It was like arriving like on Mars, like it was like nothing I recognized. Um, and having come back to the place as a reporter, I found was actually really helpful. Mm-hmm. It just allowed me to not have that sort of really emotional, visceral reaction. and That you had had previously. That I had had previously, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so I, I really love that. It just, like, I got to, you know, travel the country all over and just meet all kinds of people, um, whether it was, you know, striving college students or, or elderly farmers, a lot of the folks that you'll meet in this book. Um, yeah. And so, I, I mean, I, I, it's a hard place to be a journalist, of course, um, mm-hmm. and it's gotten much harder. Um, but it's it's a country that I love, and I, I I absolutely love being a reporter there. I miss it. So you're in China. You know, you're you're working. You said you're corresponding for the Wall Street Journal there. When are the idea? When's fiction coming into your mind? I mean, were you ever writing fiction as a kid, as in college? I mean, were you ever creating stories in your mind? Again, reporting for the Wall Street Journal is a little different than writing f- fiction. But also, having read your work, you write with fiction in a fictitious way. So kind of what was that blend like? How did, how did that kind of happen? I've always written fiction and poetry on the side. And it was something that, um, when I first started working with the journal, um, so I, when I got that job, I had just finished, um, that year in Chengdu where, as I mentioned, I was, I, I was, I did spend a fair bit of time writing fiction and I wrote a novel and, um, I was trying when I was, when I joined the paper, I was trying to still revise it and wasn't really going anywhere. And, um, I ended up eventually setting it aside. And um, one day I was just biking home and this phrase, Shanghai Murmur, popped into my head. And it's um, one of the stories in the collection and it's, it's coming out shortly in the Atlantic as well. Um, and it just, I had never written short stories before. And I, I had always, of course, loved the genre, but um, yeah, so I just sort of sat down and, and decided I want to try and write 10. And, and those became the book. And um, for me, I just, I feel like fiction, as a reporter, you're constantly, you meet so many people and you see so much and you've, you know, in my case, like you've got notebooks full of details and observations and bits that are never going to become part of a proper news story. And China is such a place where, right, like there's, there's obviously you could write, you know, you could fill a whole newspaper every day with stories about China. And, but even so, like I would come home from my day job and still want to write and still want to try and conjure up and capture some of what I was seeing around me, a lot of which just, you know, doesn't really fit in the context of, of proper news or regular news. And so for, for me, fiction was, in terms of how it coexisted with the journalism, it was just, it was another way of um, of capturing what I saw around me, right? And it was also, there was something really liberating about the process of writing these stories too. Um, the Wall Street Journal, of course, is a place where you're heavily edited, where you're constantly thinking about your editor, your audience. Are um, you? I don't work there. You tell me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> course yeah uh-huh. Every, I, I keep picturing that television show was it newsroom right on hbo oh that, I, I, yeah Daniels, I, right i've not seen it oh it, okay well yeah well, it's more about the anchor side i guess it has nothing to do with newspaper reporting now that i'm thinking about it but yeah okay i'm oh, sorry like well, yeah so it's, 
you know, you like you you write a story and every word is scrutinized, right? And yeah. most like a lot of them will get cut and a lot of them will get rewritten. Yeah. And so it's, it's a hard place, you know, to sometimes feel like you have that kind of terrain to run in. For sure. And and so to get to sit down in the mornings and just write. Do you that. write in the morning? Uh, most in the morning. Yeah, exactly. I would do some revision at night. But, but real quick, I, w- I want to go back to what you said a little earlier. Yeah. You said you wrote a book. Yes. What happened to that book? Oh, it's like in a defunct hard drive. Man, it, it's, it's blowing my mind. I mean, I'm, I've recorded you know 30 of these episodes. I think almost every single author I've talked to has said the same thing. Their first yeah. book, it's like, fucking see you later. I wrote, yeah. a book, I wrote a book when I was like 21. I'm oh, 33 wow. now, okay? What was it? Yeah. Well, it, well, at the time, the reason I even started writing was I was trying. I was quitting smoking cigarettes, and this is you know this is ten, over ten years ago, and I, this was how I, I did it. I, I, I would try to write this book, and it was awful. It was about some like twenty year old kid who wins like sixty million dollars in the lottery. It was it was a piece of shit. It was awful. I mean, but, I want to know what happens. Well, well what happened was. I, I, I had the title of the book. I liked it so much. Now it's the name of the novel I'm about to finish right now. Oh, congratulations. So I was able to keep the title of the book. That has probably, that's got to be seven Mac computers ago. You know what I mean? That, that thing is so far <laughs> yeah. gone. But it's cool to hear, again, almost every author I've talked to has said the exact same thing. Like yeah. they've thrown it in a volcano. They, you know, Because <laughs> the people who are listening to this, a lot of people you know, are, might be working on their first book um, yeah. or their third book or their whatever. Um, so it's, I just wanted to kind of clarify that and make sure that people heard that you know, your first book is somewhere. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's so much of what comes out of writing one, right? As, as you know, it's just like, well, the feeling of like, well, I did that. I can do that. Exactly. Right? Like That's what it was. Yeah, yeah. And I had the same feeling with music all along. It was always, you know, I started playing guitar when I was 10. And to me, it was always like, well, if, you know, Eric Clapton can do it, why can't I play the guitar too? That was always <laughs> the kind of thing. Um, okay. So you have these ideas for these short stories. You know, you said you had the number 10. Why? Because it's a nice, even number. Are most, nice are most short story collections 10 stories? I think they really range. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you have this number 10, you know, when did you kind of really start getting serious about it? When did you think, all right, well, this is something I want to start dedicating even more of my time to. I think from the very start and Mm -hmm. it surprised me because it came so readily. And I think, I think for me, it was just the experience of having lived in China for so long and having spent so much time accumulating just thoughts, observations, straight images and not having any place to channel them. Right. As soon yeah. as I sat down and start writing, like it just like that feeling of that urgency of having, having the chance and like the space to get these down was just super fun and exciting. And yeah, from, and from you, the start. And you said you write in the mornings. I mean, have you always been, I mean, I'd imagine again, I don't work at the wall street journal, but I'd imagine you have to have a sense of discipline and you have to, you know, you're, you're working on deadlines. I mean, do you bring that same approach to your fiction writing? Are you very, you know, are you very like, I work from this time to this time and what's your routine like? I'm not, I wish I were, I, I, I should be. I'll say one thing is the piece of writing advice that I have found not particularly helpful is, is that admonishment that you need to write for X period of time a day and make it your job. Okay. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, Well, I'll, I find it helpful in as much as it sort of urges you and kicks you to keep going. Right. Yeah. Um, But just as somebody who's had 
you know, complicated family situations at the time and like caregiving responsibilities and most recently had a child. Like some of these aspirations are just not realistic. Um, and so there are definitely, um, I'd say I write more in bursts. There are periods when I'm working really intensely, like I did with these short stories. And then there, there will be months that go by when I'm not working on anything. Entire months where you won't write any fiction at all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Really? And I just have other life stuff happening. Do you, well, understandable. Do you find that when those, when you do come back to writing fiction, um, you know, comedians talk about it a lot. Musicians talk about it all the time being rusty, right? A lot of my friends who are playing in bands, touring in bands, they're not going to have stepped on a stage in two years, maybe by the time they get on stage again, they're going to have to work off that rust. I mean, you know, but people couldn't see when you were saying people who were taught who write every day like a whack job. I was pointing at myself because I'm a whack job. I have that's how I am able to like sleep at night. I know I did that work. You know, I, I own a small business here in the city, so I have pockets of time where I can get that work in, and it means a lot to me. But the idea for me, the idea of not writing for three months, it's like, well, uh, at that point, I, can I even read anymore? Um, do you have that? Obviously you're laughing, you're smiling. I'm assuming, do you deal with any of that kind of, you know, in the times that you're not, it hadn't occurred to me. I, I, I feel like I would have needed to, to already feel like I'd gotten to a certain level of proficiency and comfort and mastery to even, whereas I feel like when I step away and come back, whether I'm, whether I'm stepping away for the day, because I've got to go to work or I've set it something aside for three months. Each time I feel like I come back in and I'm like, oh gosh, how do I do this? Every right? time, like I, right? I don't I don't think I ever really get that sense of confidence that I'm like, I got it now. I know how to do this. Each time you sit down. It's, it's, are you working with, or is any of that kind of going on in your head when you're doing the actual work? Are you, you know, do you deal with doubt at times? Are you the kind of person where you sit at the laptop, you're like, how the fuck did I, yeah. who am I? Like, you know, or are you kind of just, again, you're coming from the journalism world where, you know, you're, that's your job. And I'm assuming it's a different kind of, you know, again, I imagine a much more militaristic way you approach writing only because that's how I'm interpreting it in my head. But yeah, I, I think I approach I, Sometimes I can tell you the writing. I, it's almost, I don't know how to put it exactly. So I, I write a lot in the morning. Right. And so you wake up and you're almost half in that just groggy dream state and you start writing. And so um, I think for me, the, the kicking oneself comes later and the, you know, like, oh God, what are you doing? Um, that's, that's usually like when I've woken up a bit and maybe I'm like 20 minutes in and then I start reading back and I'm like, wow, this is, this is terrible. <laughs> um, and you just keep, but you keep going. And I do think journalism is helpful in that way. And like we were saying before, having written a novel that wasn't very good is also helpful in that way because you know, you can get to the other side of these words, right? And then the other thing that um, journalism teaches you really well is that you can always make them better. That's an interesting thing you say. You you got to the other side of these words, right? It's like, you did it. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's hard to look back when you finish something and think about all the work you put into it when it's like, there in front of you, but getting you know, that, that I'm going to use that. And now my head, just getting on the other side of those words, it's a, not like a hill that you have to kind of go up, but you know, at most of these, most authors I speak with, you know, they, they don't necessarily get the joy in the actual writing. Um, it's hard to, when you're in the trenches to see that yeah. when you're on the other side of those words, even at the end of your day, 
right back on that work that was done. Um, but you had said though, you, when you get like 15 or 20 minutes in, you're looking, you're like, you know, what the hell is this? Um, are you editing along the way? Are you a draft person? I mean, how, what's your process like? You I know? do edit along the way. Yeah. Um, and I think that's sort of inevitable given that reflex is just so honed in me from years of working in journalism. Um, so yeah, I, I do, I do edit along the way. Um, but I, I do spend also a fair amount of time just writing and seeing where things will go. And so for me, what I loved about short stories in particular was the sense that of they could go anywhere, right? Like you can sit down at the keyboard and throw in a color or a character or just an image and it takes the story in a whole new direction, different from novels in that way. I think when something you really feel like you're anchoring yourself much more and committing, Um, like more like poetry. I mean, short stories have that sense of serendipity to them. I found at least in the writing process. And so for me, there's, it was, um, I would say a, a lighter, easier experience than writing a novel. Um, when you're talking, you know, talking about like that, that sense of being in the trenches. For me, writing short stories was just like a feeling of play, a feeling of joy. Yeah. I feel Versus so- writing the novel, which was much more. Well, definitely. Yeah, yeah, I mean, definitely. you know about as much as me than I, you know, I know of you. And you know, I wrote a novella. I self-published it in February. And then three weeks later, the world shut down. Oh, wow. um, so when that happened, I'm like, all right, well, I've been working on a novel for years, but I started myself writing short stories. I'd never done it before. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. It's funny that we're talking because you had a short story. Um, what, what was the name of the story that you had that published by The New Yorker? Lulu. So I received my second rejection from The New Yorker this morning via email. And it's funny because, um, you know, Janet Fitch asked me, we were doing a podcast, and she was like, you know, well, are you submitting it to other places too? And I'm like, no. I'm like, I'm shooting for the stars. I'm like, why not go for the absolute top? And then, you know, let the shit kind of come tumble down. Um, what was the process? H- how did you get involved with The New Yorker? I mean, you know, it's one of the, it's, you know, it's some people's dreams to have their stuff published in The New Yorker. I, d- I do it kind of as a gag. I'd be amazed if they published me. Um, what was your process? Like, I mean, when did you get that call? You know, I mean. Yeah. I, so I had written the short stories and then I went out and tried to get an agent. And I, um, once an agent took the project on, um, she was going to submit it to publishers and she said to me, and that was all sort of like, we're planning. It was like all signs of go. We're going to try and sell it. And then she came back to me. She said, you know what? We need to try and get some of these stories published first. <laughs> and my heart just sank. Cause really? I, yeah. yeah, well, cause I hadn't, when I was writing these, these short stories and in general, when it came to fiction, I didn't talk about it to anyone except for my husband um, while I was writing these short stories. And so um, eventually I had one friend read it in Beijing, but then apart from, apart from him and my husband, like the first person to read it was my agent. And so it was just like the sense of terror, like, Oh God, you know, I, I, it just made it real all of a sudden. And it became, and I sort of melted down a little bit on the phone, but she was like, it's okay. I'm just going to like, we have to try some of these literary sites and like, then they'll know you're a literary person and they'll take you seriously. That was, that was sort of the crux of it. Right. And so I said, okay, fine. Um, this was last year around this time, I want to say. Oh, no, I'm sorry. We're, yeah, the year before that. I, um, I don't even know what planet we're on. At this I know. Point. Oh, my gosh. Um, so she she went ahead and she submitted it um, to the New Yorker and I guess other publications. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. Um, and then I got an email saying that they, I think the subject line was like, huge news, exclamation. And I read it and I just, I felt the same terror, I'll be honest, um, thinking like, oh God, now this is going to get published. Um, but also just then I started crying because <laughs> it uh-huh. was just, 
you know, to just feel like, oh gosh, wow, someone read it and thought it was good enough. That's that's amazing. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, you're you have a great, you're smiling, you know, you're full of joy. A lot of authors. When they're kind of, when they get to this part of the story, it's not so joyful. Uh, a lot of rejection comes along the way, um, you know. But it's you'd said how in the beginning before it got sold, your agent wanted to have some stories published, and you said at the time that made you, you know, you were like you were heartbroken. Looking back on that now, obviously, are you happy it happened that way? Yeah, I'm happy it happened that way, and. Maybe the fact that I sat on things so long was helpful because if I, um, I, I don't think I would have had the stomach for rejections um, I, already. It sort of felt like me writing was in this imaginary space that no one really knew about. And it was, um, and that was partly what enabled it to keep going was just like this feeling that it wasn't subject to anyone's scrutiny. Right. Yeah. That it was, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm enormously grateful that it happened. I and that story like, is going to be included in the book that's coming. It will. Yeah. And can you let people know, please, what the name of that book is? Yes. The book is called Land of Big Numbers, and it's out on February 2nd. Mm-hmm. And yes, um, I'm, I'm excited. Um, are you working on anything new? I mean, what happens to you now that that first book is out? Are, are you going to attempt any long form fiction? Do you want to stick with short yeah. stories? I have a you novel back to China. <laughs> um, I couldn't go back to China now. Yeah. I tried, unfortunately, but yes, I am working on a novel. Um, and for the time being, I'm, I'm here in Philly. I've, um, yeah, I've got some projects going on, but I think like everyone, it's the pandemic and um, my house is much fuller now. My parents are with me. I've got a very mobile toddler <laughs> constantly running around. So uh, yeah, it's it's harder. All right. Well, Depayne, this has been a, a blast. Um, I always have a couple of quick questions at the end of this. Um, I know you're living in Philly now, but can you give a shout out to some of your favorite bookstores in the country that have kind of helped you along the way or that you oh my gosh. want people to buy your book from? I always, I just, I mean, I grew up going to Moe's. Um, and yeah, for me, that was, that was my first introduction to kind of independent bookstores. And this is, I just remember feeling like going there as a teenager and realizing this whole universe of independent bookstores exists. Like growing up, I'd, when I was young, we would go to, you know, Borders, Barnes and Noble, that sort of thing. And so for me, going to a place like Moe's was just revelatory. Um, this is Moe's in Santa Cruz? I'm or? sorry, Moe's, Moe's in Berkeley. Berkeley. Okay. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And a lot of the bookstores that I grew up going to unfortunately have shuttered mm. and or changed hands like Cody's or some of the places that I mourn. Um, any Philly bookstores? I don't, I can't think of any Philly books. Marriott's bookshop is wonderful. Um, yeah. and highly encourage folks to check it out in when things get better. Yeah. Um, a good place for books, books, Inc. Um, cool. yeah, so, so many favorites. And, and, um, are you a social media person? Can people connect with you anyway? Um, I hate thinking of myself as a social media person, but I mean, yes, I are am. you on social media? I am on social media. Or are you a person? <laughs> yes, I am a person. So yes, said person can be found at at um, t e p i n g c h e n on Twitter. That's the awesome. only app. Deping, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on. Oh, thank you so much for having me. See you later.